Part three and final of session 91. Let's finish talking about the matrix of the mind and the use of the archetypical mind. Let's begin. In the last episode, we started studying the symbology of the first card in the archetypical mind by the Tarot, and that was the Matrix of the Mind, which we're going to continue uh, or finish studying with the questions that Don had here. Uh, just a, as a refresher, the archetypical mind is um, depicted in the Tarot uh, the major arcana in 22 cards and we're starting with the first one uh, spoiler alert <laughs> we didn't finish or at least they didn't finish uh, the study with Ra uh, because the the contact ended around that time and we only got uh, a little bit of information about each card uh, but mostly we got from from the line of the mind. So meaning that the cycle of the mind, which is seven cards, that we we study the most in in the material. So this is the part where they started with the first card or the first uh, archetype in the structure of the tarot. And it is it is uh, sufficiently explored at least in the symbology. So that's what we're getting at but most importantly is penetrating what the meaning of all of this is and this won't be done by uh, somebody explaining it or the overview of a card it's going to be in a very deep study of meditating on all of the cards and reflecting i should say not meditating although meditation in english or our modern languages kind of means that, but in any case, semantics aside, reflecting on the cards and pondering and trying to enrich the mind with more meaning on each of the, the elements that it has. And so that to me is the appropriate way of studying the archetypical mind, um, especially when they have depictions or uh, concepts around it. And so we're going to do just that in general uh, and just see whatever whatever comes through because that's how it's um, it's it's supposed to be. You're supposed to just uh, grab the concept, see what it means and then you know go to town with it. Uh, only you are going to uh, be able to differentiate all those things that are contained there within your own, I shouldn't even call it intellect, but the higher intelligence that is within you. So, okay, we studied several parts, and I'm just going to continue this as I assume you have been listening sequentially, so definitely watch last episode. And this is question 31, the first one I have here. And Don says, I have listed here the sword as struggle. I'm not sure that I even call... I can call anything in this diagram a sword. Would Ra comment on that? Now, remember that this was 
um, a different illustration than Raw used. So there are a lot of things that were not present in the original illustrations that Ra gave and helped to study in, in Egypt. So they are different. And so we're going to see uh, some of those here. As we saw, I think it was the star and the cup in the last episode, which don't belong to the original depiction. And yet they have some sort of meaning, but those meanings are were added afterwards. And they, they may have, um, uh, let's say, a meaningful uh, depiction there, but it's not the original one. And Ra, as they say here, the answer is, Doubt not the struggle, O student, but release the sword from its stricture. Observe the struggle of a caged bird to fly. So we know that the, the bird represents the spirit complex or the spirit trying to manifest within the, the matrix of mind. So they kind of direct the meaning of the sword onto the bird. And so the sword is... I don't want to say it's redundant, but at least they're saying that the meaning of struggle is true. And that's what Don interpreted as the sword, right? Uh, so I would even say that, um, yeah, that's what Don said. So I feel like Ra, if Don would have said something else about the sword, um, cutting, you know, through, uh, through lies or falsehood, then Ra would have probably suggested, yes, maybe look at the polarity, you know, and uh, the spirit also in the cage as it has. I'm adding things here. This is just my interpretation. If you were to see the, the sword as cutting the veil, maybe, you know, that could be another interpretation just comes to mind to me. Uh, nothing is right or wrong. It's just, you know, what you see and how else can it be refined? So I'm sure Ra would make a comment here, you know, uh, because I would say the sword is piercing or cutting through the veil. Uh, so maybe, you know, because it's tr the, the matrix of mind is trying to reach beyond the veil to touch upon the potentiator, right? And derive some information or some ideas out of it to experience, to enrich the, the matrix of the mind. So... Again, we can go nuts on these interpretations, but uh, Don saw the uh, the struggle. So Rod redirects the idea of struggle to the spirit, which is represented by the bird and it's caged. And so it cannot fly. So it needs the, um, the active principle in the matrix of the mind is the magician, right, on, on the card. And the magician is the one who is uh, reaching towards that because it wants that. It wants to set free itself within um, the, the constrictions of the matrix. So that's what it's reaching towards. Uh, but again, this, the sword was not part of the, the original illustration. Let's see what else they say. Question 32, Don says, I have listed the coin as work accomplished. I am also in doubt about the existence of the coin in this diagram. Would Ra comment? And I don't know how Don knew. He was very perceptive, but 
Uh, Ross says, again, doubt not that which the coin is called to represent, for does not the Magus strive to achieve through the manifested world, yet release the coin from its stricture? So it seems, again, that the coin was not part of the original illustration. And, um, and yet, you know, there is... What I see is that the coin represents uh, manifestation and this is you know, now in, not in the sense that we, we now use that word manifestation in New Age literature and uh, teachings, but in the simple sense of, yes, the world is manifested. So uh, the magician is trying to manifest its own world uh, or it's, it's not trying, is actively doing so. So the coin represents that, um, and that is, um, you know, the, the, there's something to be said there. Remember that we're not trying to get anything right. Like, oh, this is what it represents. But just to see what does the matrix of mind represent? And we're going to get a little bit more into that. The matrix of mind represents that which is what we're seeing right now, what we are experiencing directly, right? There is no, uh, there's not much information in the matrix of mind. In fact, we can say that it's almost like the empty screen, but uh, now with pixels activated, you see? And so it's, it's full of colors and yet it is, uh, it's empty. You can say that the, the, the matrix of mind is empty only receiving that which is being uh, fed. So if we see it like that, then we can see all the, the meanings of the card as trying to represent what the matrix of mind is supposed to do, which is to provide experience, to know, for the creator to know itself. And, you know, that's one portion of the whole works or the whole uh, mechanism of the mind. Again, it's important to keep in mind um, that we have, I'd like to say that, you see, this, from the model in which I see reality, which is one consciousness, one God, one creator, uh, we need to explain why do we have perceptions? Yes, because if it's just one infinity, why do we have multiple points of view and multiple entities and you know, the plethora of uh, ecosystems that exist in creation. And so to me, that's what we call minds. Anything that is acting uh, perceptually on its own is a mind. So a rock has a mind, very primitive, but it's acting. It's kind of having its own uh, repetitive cycles of uh, cycling uh, energy in a way that we call patterns and those patterns are atoms and so on. So it has a very primitive mind, but it does have a mind. And it has a body because the body is just a representation of the vibration of energy structure in a specific way. And um, please just try to follow this through because this is going to uh, go through the whole idea of manifestation. So if we can say that a rock obviously has a mind because it has an intelligence to maintain that sort of 
vibratory pattern. It's a mind, right? It's maintaining that. And uh, interestingly, is it has some sort of um, uh, diffusion. You know, it, it it may change in the structure. It may uh, over time. It may uh, allow other things to be launched into the rock. But the rock itself is not an entity, uh, not a an isolated entity. It, you know, it, it dissolves and then it becomes part of. Uh, plants because the minerals are absorbed by plants. So now the rock is part of the plants and so on. So you can see this whole thing just being one one big ecosystem, as I said. And so we call entities and each has their own mind and each um, it's interrelated with the other one. And it's a it's a whole beautiful uh, fashioning of of movement, right? Beautiful cosmic dance, you could call it. So that's a very primitive mind, and the body that it has is just a, you know, the manifestation of that mind. Likewise with animals and plants, they have a much more um, intricate mind, right? It, it does more stuff in time, it, it moves faster, it, it, it evolves and it does things, but it's still a mind. It's still, you know, moving and trying to accomplish things. And so we get into humans and now we have our minds. Our minds are even more complex, you see. Uh, but the same principle applies. You know, our body is just a presentation of this mind. This mind configures itself to be a human being in shape and form. Um, and so uh, all the while, you know, this is consciousness. This is pure consciousness. There is no uh, body-mind separate from consciousness. And the difference here with the human is that the spirit is being channeled through the mind. So the mind is not only uh, represented in a body in space-time, but also is channeling the one infinite creator through the spirit. And so we have the mind-body-spirit complex. But that is what each mind is doing. At least in third density, humans, uh, it's all manifesting a body and a universe, right? That's manifestation. And it's just a mind. So the mind-body-spirit complex, and I kind of love this about the, the law of one and Ra's the depiction is that I remember hearing body-mind-spirit always. And it was kind of curious to me that Ra was saying mind-body-spirit. Very strange, right? Why would they put the mind first? Like I've said before, the mind is the uh, the nexus is the center point of everything body comes out of that and spirit is channeled from the mind so it's the center of everything and so that's what's the mind is manifesting and so we know this if we get a grasp of this then studying the mind is the most important thing that we can engage in because we're studying the creator itself you as a creator you're studying yourself um so yeah i won't go more into what i have in mind because then i'll deviate a lot but that's that's something i wanted to to share so yeah the coin may represent uh the uh the desire of the matrix of mind the, the magician the magus that's what they 
they meet here with magus it's just another word for magician the magician is trying to do this it's not trying that's his purpose it's manifestation uh, and yet the coin was not part of the card so see even Ra is interpreting things that were not present in the original cards but yeah sure you know we can we can put anything there and maybe associated with the mind I don't know but let's move to the next question and Don says in question 33 finally the magician represents the conscious mind is this correct Ross says, we asked this student to consider the concept of the unfed conscious mind, the mind without any resource but consciousness. Do not confuse the unfed conscious mind with that mass of complexities which you as students experience as you have so many, many times dipped already into the processes of potentiation, catalyst, experience and transformation. So, this is a very complete answer. Like I just said, studying the mind is the most fruitful uh, endeavor we can possibly engage in reality. We can do many things. We can uh, devote our lives to just exploring the physical reality, uh, unbeknownst to the workings of the mind and completely uninterested with how the mind works and that's fine yet anybody who studies their own mind finds the most fascinating things in there because you're no longer seeing the manifested world only but how is that manifested world being projected by your own mind so now we're going to we're going to peel the layers of what we know in the cycle of the mind the archetypical structure of the mind at least the cycle of the seven cards that represent that part of the 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 mind not as i explain mind as a whole which is what generates body and spirit but just the cycle of the mind which is of course you know the beginning of everything so we know that the matrix represents the conscious mind and don is asking that that's what it represents right the conscious mind and ra says instead of saying yes it represents the conscious mind because we can get confused with what is the conscious mind is this is it this you know what i'm thinking and what i am um experiencing right now as a whole remember these are layers of the mind so the matrix represents only the unfed portion of the mind yes they say consider the concept of the unfed conscious mind the mind without any resource but consciousness so there is consciousness of manifestation that's it um there is no information yet right i mean this is this is why it's tricky because ra is saying do not confuse this unfed conscious mind with the mass of complexities that you experience right now so the mind as you experience it right now is full of complexities because is 
It's alive with everything that you have experienced and it's fashioning the world as you see it. So it's, um, it's completely fed, it's, it's bursting with um, uh, patterns or even what we would call uh, samskaras in Buddhism, right? These, um, uh, these patterns that we have, uh, we have associated life with. So that's not the, the, the conscious mind as represented by the matrix. Ra even goes to say, um, don't confuse it with that which you have, um, you have fashioned already. As uh, students, you have had catalyst experience, uh, potentiation of all of this and transformation. All of this is the cycle of the mind, which generates a sort of projection, right? So don't confuse the screen with the projection. And all we know at this point is just the projection, the constant projection of the, uh, um, of the mind onto the screen or the workings of the mind onto the screen. So the screen is that uh, unfed conscious mind, which is where everything is reflected, right? So the world is a reflection of me. Well, that is the conscious mind, that which where I am projecting it. Now, for practical purposes here, I think this is the the really um, important part is that we equate this, at least I like to equate this to the blankness of mind. Right? This is what we pursue in meditation, uh, certainly in what we called recognition of self. Because you yourself are not the projection. The projection is coming from you for sure, from your mind, but you yourself are um, pure consciousness, you see? And that consciousness is literally the blank state of mind. Um, it's a little bit tricky to use it here in, in the archetypical mind because questions may arise. Oh, so consciousness is just that portion of the mind. No, that's not true. <laughs> consciousness is not part of the mind. The mind is the movement of consciousness. Uh, but that movement, of course, is projected where else? In consciousness. <laughs> so consciousness is permeating everything. Um, and so when you see it this way, then meditation on silence that uh, samadhi state which is what we what we seek in the essence of meditation that's that's all we're seeking you can say that you you can use meditation because once you once you know the structure of the mind then you can play with the mind whatever you want you know and you can use that that knowledge to project uh, or allow projections of anything and explore the mind sure but the essence, the basis of it is that blank state, you know, recognition of pure consciousness. So that's what enhances the, the capacity of us being able to discern the projections of the mind, which will be able then to see potentiation. We see, oh, you know, I can see how potentiation is acting upon the matrix of the mind. Beautiful. You see, I'm, 
I'm dipping into the resources of the archetypical structure of the mind. And then suddenly, you know, potentiation of the matrix of the mind is causing catalyst. So catalyst needs to be processed. Well, what for? So it yields experience. And so in experience, then I can now choose, choose one polarity that changes the significator because it's transforming the mind. And that's what generates, uh, you know, evolution. That's the whole purpose of the cycle of the mind evolution. That in turns, of course, is intertwined with body and spirit. And so these, these are all interlinked. It's not like I'm only working on the mind right now. So later I'm going to work on the body. <laughs> it's always changing. All of this is just morphing. And, you know, if you've ever had some sort of, um, uh, psychedelic experience in general, you can see that, you know, things are usually perception is always morphing. You know, you're seeing the workings of the mind in a way, and it becomes fascinating and that's well and good. Um, um, but it's limited, of course, uh, just looking at how the mind works on a deep level may not yield um, evolution, of course, or may even get you stuck more. So uh, I'm only mentioning this because it's an experience in which you can see that, oh, wow, yes, there is definitely more to the mind than just intellect and thinking. There's a lot more and it's richer, it's deeper and um, it's, it's a higher intelligence that is working there and it's absolutely not what I think I am. It's something so much more profound. So great insights. Um, but yeah, here we're just getting into the structure of the mind because that's as we're going to find out uh, in, in Don's questions, next couple of questions. Uh, that's the purpose of studying the archetypical mind. So again, just to recap this part of what the, the matrix of the mind represents, which is the conscious mind, but the unfed conscious mind. Um, and that would be, of course, the, um, the screen, let's just say, in which the mind is being projected or the processes of the mind are being projected. That's what the matrix represents. And like I said, um, I find that equating this to the the state of looking at the background of experience. Experience has a background. All experience has a background. What is that background? Do we call it space? Do we call it self? Do we call it I, which is the same thing? Uh, do I call it consciousness? What do I call it? It doesn't matter. Intelligent infinity, if you want. That's the background. Um, I think that's fair to say that um, meditating on that or focusing, I should even say not focusing because this is the only thing in which you don't focus. You relax yourself into rather. Uh, that has tremendous impacts as we'll find out. But yeah, let's move to the next question so we can uh, wrap this part of the session. Question 34, Don says, are these all the components then of the first archetype? <laughs> uh, Ra says, these are all you the student sees. Thusly, the complement is complete for you. Each student may see some other nuance. 
We, as we have said, did not offer these images with boundaries, but only as guidelines intending to aid the adept and to establish the architecture of the deep or archetypical portion of the deep mind. Um, keywords there. Uh, they said, to establish the architecture of the deep or archetypical portion of the deep mind. Right? You can call it the deep mind or the archetypical portion, archetypical portion of the deep mind. Two ways to call it. I think with every word we can reflect on and allow this picture to blossom in us about uh, each archetype. But here in, I love, I just love these words. First of all, let me get the question out of the way. Uh, Don is asking, you know, are these all the components of the matrix of the mind? And Ra says, these are all UC. And that's fine for now. Everything will evolve over time. The more you think about the cage and the bird and the polarity and even the sword, if you want, or the coin stars or whatever else might be there or may not be there, as long as you keep reflecting on what the matrix of mind is, you're going to see more things. How does that happen? Are there more things? Are you making things up? No, there are parts inside of you that are informing the, like I said already, uh, the mind is not just a simple, superficial, transactional medium of uh, subject and object in reality with the, the universe and people and so on. Uh, it's way deeper. We're only seeing the, not even the tip of the iceberg, but the surface of the tip of the iceberg. Uh, the tip of, of the iceberg still has parts deep that we don't see. <laughs> and that is part of the conscious mind as well. So we're looking at that, you know, we're making a, a deep analysis on, on this um, on this surface, right? So, yeah, that's what you see. And each student may see some other nuance. That's the purpose. And then Ross says, as we have said, we didn't offer these images with some limitations or boundaries, like this is what it is. Uh, but they did offer guidelines intending to aid us, the adept, to establish the, and these are the words, architecture of the deep mind or archetypical portion of the deep mind. Uh, two things or three things stand out to me here. One, architecture or archetypal, Right? That's basically the same root of the word. Architecture, depth, which is not just, you know, let's study the architecture of your thoughts right now. You know, let's study the architecture of what creates thoughts and where do thoughts come from and what's the whole structure of this which we call mind, which allows me to have. Um, the feeling of sadness and love and have dreams and have ambitions and have uh, traumas and everything. What's the structure of this? Let's look at it all. And that is the mind. So there is, it's a, a deep, a structure of the deep configurations of the mind, not even configurations, I should say. Um, the blueprint, like they also say, of how experience is going to be. 
this has a lot of implications and we can we can definitely um, spend a good deal just a good deal of time analyzing this knowing that every part that we see can be further and further studied this is why I have always seen so far um, I've never found anybody who says oh yes I, I have mastered all the, the aspects of the archetypical mind which is you know in in direct parallel to um, in direct parallel to knowing yourself you know does anybody who awakens says I completely know myself um, no what is interesting is that when you wake up you say oh I I see you know I see clearly that doesn't mean I see everything clearly um, and in fact when I do I realize that I see absolutely nothing because when I see everything I see nothing right the concept of everything everything uh, everywhere all at once <laughs> if you watch that movie uh, it's actually a good movie it has some interesting um, parallel universe sort of things in it um, but if you see everything and you see nothing right that realization is humbling you know and yet it allows you to see to pierce through um, falsehood and that's what we're looking for right awakening we're all in this path because we are enamored with awakening what does awakening mean well to know the truth and the truth is that you cannot know anything <laughs> uh, not fully so in direct parallel the study of the archetypical mind is the same as awakening when you awaken you kind of know you know you you can say that you know the self and you know what the self you know is in your experience and yet you cannot conceptualize it because when you do you know you just made up a, an object out of something that doesn't have objective qualities and you know it's false so it's a paradoxical sort of um, I, I can't even call it phase but um, an event is a paradox paradoxical event that uh, what you find is uh, nothing that you can actually objectify in the same way I think the archetypical mind is going to be the same way uh, the more you study it the more you're going to see that wow I can only see the structure of how it is and how it works that's it you know you can you can talk about the structure for sure and and I think that's what most people do with uh, with the archetypical mind but never a way to say oh this this is all this is everything that we need to know never I even feel I have to confess I feel completely ignorant in all of this and uh, I even hesitated a bit uh, when I got to the archetypical mind because I said I have no idea what this is <laughs> everything else I can uh, I can talk about and it's nice and I mean I realized that the more I, I got into the archetypical mind then you know the more comfortable I feel with the idea of the blueprint of the mind that's what it's being expressed but I just hope that what I say is of value because I feel like this is this is way beyond my pay rate <laughs> um, 
But yeah, let's move to the next question. Don says in question 35, how is a knowledge of the facets of the archetypical mind used by the individual to accelerate his evolution? Really good question. And the one that I was looking forward to actually in this session. Ross says, we shall offer an example based upon this first explorer archetype or concept complex. The conscious mind of the adept may be full to bursting of the most abstruse and unmanageable of ideas so that further ideation becomes impossible and work in Blu-ray or Indigo is blocked through overactivation. It is then that the adept would call upon the new mind, untouched and virgin, and dwell within the archetype of the new and unblemished mind without bias, without polarity, full of the magic of the logos. Wow. Just wow. So in a previous question, I talked about the unfed conscious mind. That is what Ra invited us to see here in the matrix of mind. And now we can see an example, as Ra says, of how embodying this archetype actually helps. Don is asking, in essence, how does this help? What's the whole point of this? What's the whole point of studying the archetypical mind? How does this help? And Ra gives the example and says, let's use that which, um, that which we have been studying so far, the matrix of mind. How is, how is it helpful to, to have um, knowledge on the archetypical, um, the archetype of the matrix? Here is a very, very um, important example of the mind of an adept, which has been intellectualizing a lot. An adept is somebody who is seeking, let's just call it a spiritual seeker, right? Who has been doing some work already on, on this path. Somebody who has been on this may have a lot of intellectual understandings and, and concepts and is trying to live those concepts. Um, and here's where it gets interesting because um, it, it's not only intellectual people who have lots of thoughts, uh, intuitive people, right? These are the two sides of the same coin. People who are uh, a lot intuitive, they may not intellectualize, but they dream a lot. I'm not talking about I'm talking about even daydreaming, you know, meditation. And I'll give you a couple of examples. There is subject A, which you may know, you know, sits down, tries to think or not think, meditate, and it's all thinking. Thinking, 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 patterns, patterns, things that I have to do. And, you know, it's just all structure. He says, I cannot meditate. Because of a big issue with defining meditation these days, especially on the shallow understanding of spirituality, uh, subject B, intuitive person, has a lot of visions, you know, and as soon as it shuts aside for meditation, it goes into uh, beautiful trips, you know, and it claims that it disconnects itself from itself, right? And it goes into all these uh, beautiful or whatever. It goes into its imagination. No thoughts, they say. 
See, but the problem is that this is still mental activity. It's producing nothing else than exploring your own mind. So you're getting, you know, to explore the mind, not understand it, not um, give it room. It's, uh, it's still helpful. I mean, I, that's why I can say that this is not meditation. Because meditation is anything that you allow the mind, the mind to relax. But my point is that there is still mental activity. This is what Ra is saying to me, right? The conscious mind of the adept may be full to bursting of the most abstruse and unmanageable of ideas, right? Unhelpful, uh, not very useful ideas. So that further ideation becomes impossible because it's full of activity. You know, it's just there, you know, doing its own thing. And um, the, the conscious attention of the self is basically just uh, distracting itself or in the intellectual because again this is this is a societal uh, convention it's not even a societal convention but a cultural convention subcultural convention I should say in spiritual circles that you know they praise people who have uh, a lot of imagination and the intellect is always seen as bad the truth is that both are activities and so what we look is for non-activity that's what we're looking for in the conscious mind when we meditate in this point. This is what Ra is saying. When this is all uh, obstructed because it's just full of activity, then uh, work in blue or indigo is blocked through, what's the word? Overactivation. The mind is thinking too much or the mind is active, it's way too active. Uh, and again, both are overactive, intellect or intuition, it doesn't matter. So what does Ra say? What's the medicine? They say, it is then that the adept would call upon the new mind, untouched and virgin. Mm. So it basically says, fine, everything that is going on there, I recognize as being part of the mind. I'm not interested in that not interested in anything that comes through, um, but I'm interested in that uh, background, the background of my experience. I'm experiencing imagination, fine. I'm experiencing thoughts, fine. I have nothing against them. I'm just here to experience that background, right? That That's the, the conscious, what lies behind. I'm looking at the screen, not the pixelated, uh, animation i'm dwelling there and that's what ra says and dwell within the archetype of the new and unblemished unblemished mind without bias right no bias no judgment no preference no inclinations nothing just pure abiding in being without polarity you see oh this is uh, it's, it's positive this is negative positive negative there's no polarity and what is that? What is that called? Full of the magic of the logos. The logos is uh, it's unpolarized. See, is unbiased. Well, there are some biases there, according to Ra. <laughs> A bias towards kindness. Um, but I mean, all all logoi are, of course, uh, full of this this. I mean, I, we can't even call it positive, but just 
intelligent infinity of the original desire that all entities seek and become one. So can we call that a bias? Not really. That's just the nature of manifestation. Anything that is manifested will eventually, has to eventually return to source uh, because it was never away from source. So yeah, this is a great way to, to use the archetypical mind. Now, like I said in a previous question, this is the, the purpose of meditation, is to allow that blank mind, which is not a mind without activity. It, it can have indeed activity, but we don't care about the activity. We're not engaged in the activity because it's not like we are the activity and we, we are destined to ride the activity. No, there is a, an interesting principle there right that, that is the conscious uh, or the consciousness behind everything that's who you are so that's what we uh, we teach in in the um in the direct path just to go straight into that and from there allow experience to unfold we have a couple more questions and then we'll finish question 36 don says then you are saying that, if I am correct in understanding what you have just said, that the conscious mind may be filled with an almost infinite number of concepts, but there is a set of basic concepts which are what I would call important simply because they are the foundations for the evolution of consciousness and will, if carefully applied, accelerate the evolution of consciousness. Eh, not really. Whereas the vast array of concepts, ideas, experiences that we meet in our daily lives may have little or no bearing upon the evolution of consciousness, except in a very indirect way. In other words, what we are attempting to do here is find the great motivators of, of evolution and utilize them to move through our evolutionary track. Is this correct? Ra says, not entirely. The archetypes are not the foundation for spiritual evolution but rather are the tool for grasping in an undistorted manner the nature of this evolution. So the, the pipelines of the water is not the current, uh, but they are, of course, the way in which the currents will move and all the different uh, variables of the current that flows through the pipeline um, namely, you know, pressure and quantity and who else, uh, what else, uh, content, all of that stuff is going to be, you know, part of the individual flow of energy, if you want to use this analogy to a certain extent. That's the archetypical mind. It's the structure in which all experience will be f flowing through. So understanding how experience flows through or by this, I'm talking about the experience of manifestation, of creation, of you being, of beingness, actually. Beingness manifests through the archetypical mind. That being is filtered through the different uh, archetypes, um, or it is structured by the archetype and has experience um, as a result of this archetype, of, or archetypical mind. So... Yeah, Don's question is a bit more like um, there are concepts that are unimportant and so the archetypical mind are the concepts that are important? No. 
the archetypes are not the foundation of evolution. The foundation of evolution is just the, um, the desire. That's the foundation of evolution, the desire to know yourself, to experience yourself. And so the archetypical mind is just, how does that happen? How does that evolution happen? Well, what is the mind trying to do? What is the body trying to do? What is the spirit trying to do? What are all these aspects of beingness in manifestation uh, purpose? What are they trying to do? And so that's what we find in, uh, in the archetypical mind. Did I say anything else? No, we have one more question, I believe. But I'll make another comment here. Um, they say they're rather, uh, but rather they are the tool for grasping in an undistorted manner the nature of this evolution. Um, see, something that is undistorted means that uh, it's pure. It's as it's supposed to be. So, for example. Uh, there is no distorted matrix of mind or potentiator. They are as they are. Uh, what flows through them, those are distortions. But every archetype is simply, it's almost like saying, you know, the, I don't think I can exhaust well this analogy, but you know, the pipeline again, uh, the way in which water flows or whatever liquid is going through the pipeline prana we can say right that's what i'm supposed to <laughs> uh, to illustrate here so this prana you know would be um there may be gunk in the line you know that needs to be cleared out it has nothing to do with the pipeline the pipeline is the pipeline um and let's assume that there is no rust or anything there <laughs> it's just perfect it's um um yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect, undistorted. But what's flowing through is what needs to be paid attention. So if we know the way in which it turns and bends, then we can see, you know, how we can use it to, to the best of our abilities to channel through that energy, that prana that is flowing through the pipeline. So important to keep that in mind. Um, every archetype, as I can understand it, is it's not distorted, it's simply what it is, you see. So I think this is where sometimes the interpretation of archetypes can lead to another type of work in which you say, oh, you know, you have this archetype distorted or whatever it may be. Um, that may not be the case although they're referring to the function of the archetype. For example, if I am not processing catalyst well, then, uh, you know, I have a kind of an issue in my, my archetype, the perceiving of the archetype. What is the archetype trying to do with catalyst? You see? But again, um, I'm dipping into territory that does not belong to me. Let's go to the final question that I have here for today. Is it? I believe so. Question 37, Don says, so far, so for an individual, let me say this again. So for an individual who wishes to consciously augment his own evolution and ability to recognize and utilize the archetypes would be beneficial in sorting out that which he wished to seek and that which he found. 
in that which would be found then as not as efficient a seeking tool. Would this be a good statement? <laughs> I don't think I read it well. Um, so for an individual who wishes to consciously augment his own evolution, an ability to recognize and utilize the archetypes would be beneficial in sorting out that which he wished to seek and that which he found. Okay, And that which would be found then as not as efficient a seeking tool. So is that a good statement? <laughs> Let's see what Ross says. They say, this is a fairly adequate statement. The term efficient might also fruitfully be replaced by the term undistorted. Once again, the archetypical mind, when penetrated lucidly, is a blueprint of the builded structure of all energy expenditures and all seeking without distortion. This, as a resource within the deep mind, is of great potential to the adept. Finally, they say, we would ask one more query at the space-time as the instrument is experiencing continuous surges of the distortion you call pain and we wish to take our leave of the working while the instrument still possesses a sufficient amount of transfer energy to ease that transition to the waking state if you would call it that <laughs> um, that's not a waking state it's a sleeping state uh, consciousness is dreaming here but you can have certainly lucid dreaming if you wake up so to speak <laughs> uh, i love that part uh, the waking state if you would call it that i think they're kind of winking their uh, raw eye to us <laughs> uh, wink wink yeah this is not this is not the true even that is saying that this is false let me not get into that. <laughs> um, for your own reflection, is this the waking state? Leave a comment and let me know. So, okay, so to the answer, to Don's answer, um, is it beneficial in sorting out the archetypical mind? You know, all of this is experience. Ross says the term efficient might also fruitfully be replaced by the term undistorted, like I said. Um, it's almost like facing reality. Things are as they are, you cannot change it, right? So why spend energy in distorted ways to, oh, I wish this wasn't so, you know, I wish I would have known this before. I wish I knew the numbers of the lottery beforehand. You know, all these things are just detracting from the present. I mean, you have free will to do it, but um, not very pleasant. It's never pleasant to resist the present. So why do we do it? We need introspection for that, for each moment of our lives in which we find that there is resistance to the present. So the archetypical mind, when penetrated lucidly, that word again, is a blueprint of the builded structure of all energy expenditures, just like the water or prana running through the pipes, right? Is the builded structure of all energy expenditures and all seeking without distortion. How does that mean? I mean, if I am seeking, then I must be distorted. Isn't that right? So how is it possible that seeking can be without distortion? Well, you're looking at the blueprint of the mind. You're not looking at the evolution itself because the evolution itself of the self is a distortion, right? 
That's the first distortion. I separate myself from myself. And so I go in this journey to find myself, which I am already. <laughs> kind of paradoxical. But that leads to experience. Um, we might even say that imagination's purpose is to end at some point. Isn't it? I mean, no imagination uh, can stay permanent. It needs to end. It needs to change. It transforms. And the more it transforms, the more experience you have in your imagination, you have a better time. You see? Um, so, again, um, it's the structure without distortion. So, how come it is seeking without distortion? Isn't it seeking supposed to be distorted? Well, if you look at the structure itself, it's almost like looking at um, no experience yet. There is no experience through it. There is no prana. There is no consciousness flowing through. Uh, this is helpful because we can see the structure of how this is supposed to work. Or rather, how it is working. Not how it's supposed to work. Like, oh no, you have a deficiency in you, uh, in this archetype. There is no deficiency in the archetypes of yourself there is only that which is flowing through well there may be some blockages there or there may be some um uh, what's the word resistance yeah some resistance to changing to uh, to what you're perceiving in the matrix to dip into the potentiator or the unconscious mind there may, may be many things but all of that is always present and fine undistorted so, because the structure of the mind, the archetypical mind, is the process, or rather is the, um, yeah, it's the, it's the structure of evolution, it's not the process of evolution, then it, it is helpful to know how it works. It is helpful to visualize how this is working, how this is happening. Uh, and those are my two cents here. Like I said, I I find that I don't have a full understanding of the archetypical mind. Um, I'm humbled over and over by every single time I I read about it or I listen to somebody talk about it because there's always something else coming out in me uh, as a result of just contemplating it, reflecting on it. Contemplation is a better word. Conclusions. Let's finish with the matrix of mine, as Ra suggested. Um, embodying this matrix of mind is a very helpful thing to do in meditation. Just knowing, realizing that what is the background of all my experience? The background of my, my experience is pure consciousness, right? There is no polarity, meaning there is no desire to polarize myself there in any way. Um, there is no, um, no bias, like Ross said, towards anything. There is only the appearance of experience in there. It's helpful because, like Ross said, we we overthink. We all overthink. Um, and when you fall in love with this state, which is just the state of... Uh, this is the state 
of the child. You see, when we talk about in non-duality, um, we return to the state of of the baby's mind. Right? We're not talking about being uh, completely unaware of everything and um, I'm going to use the word dumb because that's what sometimes people use. You know, when are you saying that I should be dumb like a child again? Uh, that actually shows that that's how you look at children. You look at children as dumb, you know, because they don't know. They're not intellectuals, you know, they don't have a rational mind. So you don't appreciate that side of you, which is still present. You know, that, that actually shows more, you know, of the the bias that people have for the thinking mind. But no, returning to this uh, beginner's mind, as it said, it is said in Zen, that beginner's mind is the one that knows absolutely nothing, you know, and it's fine in it. It's fine not knowing anything because you're full with the power of the universe, which doesn't know anything. That's, that's a very helpful thing. Uh, and I have found it myself. That's why I'm saying it, not because I read it in books, but because I, I used to be very intellectual very intellectual and to the degree that it was overheating my head and yeah I, I know exactly what that means and I've known people like I said who had overheated their brains you know with imagination um, and they suffered you can see you know that some of them suffer and they have the same issues as anybody who is intellectual so again it's about returning to that state of equanimity state of of being, which is really the source of yourself. And so that is actually going to lead us to the next archetype, which is the significator, uh, not the significator, the potentiator of mind, which is in next session. We're gonna go uh, as best as possible sequentially in the next sessions through uh, the cycle of the mind. We exhausted the matrix. We're gonna go to potentiator, then catalyst, then experience, the significator, and then transformation in a great way. Uh, at least that's the way they did it. There's going to be some, you know, uh, rough terrain here and there with the questions uh, as they go more into personal questions and then the end of the contact, but that's, that's what we have in the horizon for us. With that being said, I wanna thank you as usual for uh, watching or listening to this. If you consider supporting me and my work, you can head up to uh, Patreon where you can support me, which is small contribution. I would highly appreciate that. Links always in the description of whatever platform you're listening to this. Take care of yourself. Have a good day, good night, whatever you are. And I'll see you in the first part of session 92.